0: Is all of theology just cultural? You read some of the old creeds for instance, and there's certain questions that they aren't even asking or trying to articulate, and different questions are being asked of our culture. So we're responding in some ways to the fact that we live in a culture that's asking different questions than what they might have done at the Council of Nicaea. That topic and
1: more today on The Missions podcast. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Mobilization for ABWE International, joined by Scott Dunford, West Coast Mobilizer and Lead Church Planter for Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. And Scott, yes. it's good to hear your voice today. How are things in your neck of the woods? Uh, you know, i um, thankful to be able to serve the Lord.
0: And uh, it's we've had some, obviously when you're pastoring, there's like ups and downs. And last night we had a really sweet time and just looking around the room and just seeing, you know, the age diversity, the the different lengths of time people have been walking with the Lord and uh, the um, ethnic Mm. and cultural diversity of the room. It's pretty remarkable. And I'm just really thankful for it. So great. I sh- I, it's great. It's great to be on this morning. It's great to be in Fremont, California. It's great to serve Jesus.
1: That's awesome. Small church is just uh, such a blessing. I mean, it's, it's got its hard things. It's got its easy things, but so does big church, right? But small church can be so, so beautiful. Scott, there's a question that I think has come up, and it's come up from a couple different angles. And w- what I'd like to dive into today is this issue of, is all theology cultural? Or is all of our understanding of theology, the theology that we systematize Mm -hmm. and draw out of scripture, cultural? And and here's why I'm asking that question. I'm I'm seeing this come up from multiple angles as people are debating cultural issues. For example, people turn to what Paul says about the role of women in ministry. Well, that's just cultural. That's just the apostle Paul. He's writing as a first century Jew. So you, you hear that. Or at the same time, it's relevant in the realm of missions. As we go and make disciples of all nations, that inevitably involves teaching theology. And as we Mm -hmm. bring theological truth to bear Mm -hmm. with unbelievers and with young believers, extricating ourselves from just the the systems that we have here in the West and Mm -hmm. making it contextually appropriate, sometimes that goes too far because you'll hear people say, well, your theological system, that's just cultural, that's just Western, right? Western is like the, the boogeyman kind of a thing. And so the question does get posed is all of scriptural truth a byproduct of culture? You you really can't answer that question unless you define your terms, right?
0: Right. And those terms alone are packed
1: with potential meanings. So how would you define the first term, which is just theology? We might have a simple definition. How would you unpack that? Boy, they're
0: simple words, but they're packed full of, of meaning and shades of meaning. But, you know, obviously simply, Theology is just the study of God and religious belief. I mean, I think that's probably even a dictionary definition of the term theology. But then it comes into more robust understanding. We usually say, like, grab your theology textbook. We mean something different than just it's a book that explores all the possible understandings of the nature of God and religious belief. A Christian theology is certainly coming at it from the historic Christian understanding of God, how it's been developed over history Biblical theology, how does a certain book of the Bible develop this idea? So how does James develop justification as opposed to how Paul, like how does, how does Paul define this idea of justification? That would be more of a biblical theology. And then systematic theology doesn't look at it through a time lens or through uh, the lens of one particular book, but according to themes. So the idea that salvation in general, not just what does Romans say, but what is salvation and then looking at all the scriptures and putting those together. So you have these kind of different types of ways about going at theology which in some ways provides a lot of clarity but in other ways makes things a little bit confusing.
1: That's actually a helpful place to start because if we're making distinctions within theology, biblical theology um being much more walking through the text And uh, systematic theology being a little bit more what we draw out of it, I I think it is clear that maybe one of those is going to be more influenced by a particular culture. But then the other question is, well, what is culture, right? So is all theology cultural? Well, first of all, what what do we mean by theology? Um, Are we talking about the strict content of revelation? Or are we talking about applications and articulations of that? Is that cultural? Well, what is culture? really good book that I highly recommend. Henry Van Til, he's the nephew of Cornelius Van Til, famous theologian, the Calvinistic concept of culture. Don't think based on the title of that, that it's a treatise on Calvinism. He doesn't address um, the soteriological side of it in terms of election and, and things like that. Um, get another book if you want to dive into issues of election and predestination. But this is particularly tracing out what is the view of culture that was adopted and returned to through the Reformation. He calls culture uh, the activity of man, the image bearer of God by which he fulfills the creation mandate to cultivate the earth, to have dominion over it and to subdue it. So we would look at that. We would draw that from genesis uh, 128 the cultural mandate so you're looking at culture as the sum total of not just the arts but its every other cultural artifact that comes out of human society but i think the simplest definition is one that henry van til also gives in another point in the book culture is religion externalized I I believe that's original with him. It might not be. It's been repeated often elsewhere. So forgive me if I'm misattributing that. Maybe one of our listeners can email me and correct me about that. But uh, culture is not just this disembodied thing where, you know, while we wear this color of clothing and this other person wears this, It, it really does flow out of the value set and the worldview of a culture. It is religion externalized. The reality is, is that a religion, a cultus is always going to produce a culture. And at the same time, you're never going to have a culture form that isn't based on a cultus that doesn't have at its root, a set of convictions, whether stated explicitly or implicitly about how the world works and what our place in the world is. And so, um, you know, when we define culture that way, the question is all theology, cultural uh, yes, there is a certain sense in which that statement is true on its face. All all theology comes to us embedded in culture, embedded in books with human language formed with human words, with analogies to regular everyday human life, particular to, for instance, ancient Near Eastern culture as we read uh, the Bible. So maybe there's a simplistic way of answering the question yes at first, right?
0: Yeah, you know, going back to Van Til's definition and I think he would probably even say, you know, when you're trying to be simple and pithy, you're going to miss stuff. I think there's a problem with his definition. The problem is, is that it it seems to lean more toward the individual and culture, I think, does definitely. And I, I don't even think he was trying to make this this distinction. I have a feeling he would probably agree with everything I'm about to say, but that there is certainly a social element to culture that it's not just my thinking my internal thinking externalized it's Hebert has a definition that I think is really how Hebert's writings on culture and worldview I think are super helpful really appreciated He defines culture as more or less integrated systems of ideas feelings and values and their associated patterns of behavior and products shared by a group of people who organize and regulate what they think feel and do so he leans a lot more heavily on these systems, that are ideas, feelings and values, but also how how groups regulate those things. So we we feel this pressure all the time in our culture. So people might go, well, America doesn't have a culture. Well, it sure does. Try having a loud conversation with your hat on at an NFL football game. People are going to be looking at you like get up and stand up when the anthem's played. You know, there's there's a cultural pressure that exerts itself. And so, you know, we also saw that when. NFL players decided not to stand up. So they knew that they were violating a cultural value and they were doing it intentionally to communicate something else. So that's a great example, I think, where you see like a culture that puts pressure in one way and that also can be. Subverted in another way to to create some kind of feeling or response, and it created a response, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I I think what Van Till is getting at more is that culture is not neutral morally. There, there is no you know neutral place in the public square that doesn't assume some sort of set of values or presuppositions about the way the world is, the way the world works, how we got here, those sorts of things. And a lot of the the way that we approach everyday life flow out of those assumptions that are oftentimes under the surface and unstated. So you're right. There's There's more to culture than just the religious underpinnings of it but there's certainly not less to culture than the religious underpinnings of it. And, you know, again, going back to the question, is all theology cultural? So think of a missionary. And let me just pause. Here's why this is relevant. I know a college student, not sure if he's listening. Maybe you're listening. Matt, if you're listening, how's it going? I know a guy named Matt. He used to be in my youth group when I was a youth pastor. He's going to an ostensibly Christian college. And he was encouraged not to pursue missions in spite of he he went on an an internship overseas. Um, He's had a heart for uh, Spanish-speaking ministry. Um, He was encouraged by one of his Christian professors not to pursue missions because missions is just white European colonialism. And one of the justifications for that position, I would imagine, would be, well, don't you understand that you know your articulation of the gospel, your version of this salvation message that you want to go and publish everywhere, is just a—it's just cultural. It, it, don't you see? It's just an Americanism. It's just—it's just you and your your uh, evangelicalism, and you're you're too focused on conversion. You can't extract yourself from your culture as much as you need to. Um, it's an accusation that he's narrow-minded. And again, we we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. You know, you you read some of these texts in scripture about. For instance, the roles of, of men and women are just how societies are to work and function. And people chafe at some of these things in our day and age, and they look at that and say, well, isn't that just cultural? And it throws into question things like biblical authority. But we have to affirm right on its face that yes all theology is cultural all of the bible is cultural it it was given to the jewish people the old testament and then you know the new testament in greek i mean you have human languages those are cultural products and the the personality of the individual human authors of scripture are all utilized and you can see that come out in the different writing styles and so obviously it's it's cultural in a sense um, but I think where it gets down to it is as missionaries who want to be sensitive to other cultures and to learn other cultures and to contextualize, well, there's a temptation that if we're not careful can quickly come in and make everything relative. Cause what we're not saying is that God's truth is purely cultural or that the gospel is purely cultural or that scripture itself. Yeah. Even though it's given in, in a certain language, biblically. That doesn't mean that there aren't truths in scripture that really do transcend culture. Repent and believe the gospel. That's not just a Jewish first century application of something that transcends culture. That has to be said with no modification, really, to somebody from any language and culture.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate what you're saying, but I do think that there is the other ditch of saying, well theology isn't cultural at all, because in one sense it is. So God's word isn't cultural. I mean, it is cultural, but, you know, God's word is God's revelation to us. And but that is a different thing than theology, which is an attempt by people to articulate in other words and the systematize and formalize God's word into categories, really. So when we start doing that work, there is a cultural element to it. So because because then it's it's definitely influenced by well, one of the questions I'm asking. There are questions that I will ask from my perspective, for instance, you read some of the old creeds, for instance, and there's certain questions that they aren't even asking or trying to articulate in this doctrinal statement or that doctrinal statement that we are clarifying a lot more clearly today because different questions are being asked of our culture. So we're responding in some ways to the fact that we live in a culture that's asking questions of the word of God and asking questions about the nature of God and are going to go into different Uh, levels of detail and specificity and come to the scriptures asking those questions in a different way than what they might have done, you know, at the Council of Nicaea. You know, I think that's a place where culture really does impact theology. There's also the sense of when I'm interpreting the Bible, I'm not asking certain questions because culturally I'm blind to those questions. For instance, just giving a silly example. And how many times have we read stories of, you know, using an example of a wedding feast or a wedding in in a Jewish context? And immediately our mind goes to the last wedding we attended, you know, that had fluffy white cake and corny emceeing and, you know, the introduction of the bride and groom and the wedding party. And we're thinking about it through that lens, not a Middle Eastern lens. And so. There's times we totally miss the point of the text because we're not even anywhere near the same place culture. We get the idea of a bride and groom. So the main idea could be caught, but some of the nuance of it could be lost because we're not even thinking about a wedding. Like, for instance, the seven virgins waiting. How many times have, have Christians been confused on that? Because they didn't understand the concept of a bridegroom and his party coming and, and taking the bride away. Uh, at an unannounced time. No one could imagine us going to a wedding and not knowing when the groom's showing up. You know, it's on the program. We know he's coming at 6 p.m., you know, and the wedding starts. So it's kind of confusing and and people can draw erroneous conclusions because of the fact that they didn't understand the culture.
1: A lot to dive into, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Police in Santiago, Chile, captured Cesar during an armed robbery. After the hardened gangster spent some time in solitary confinement, he emerged in a rage and rival inmates were ready to kill him, too. Then he heard, Cesar, God is calling you. A group of Christian inmates encircled him to protect him from the other gangsters. The sudden act of compassion changed his heart. Soon he surrendered to Christ. Now he's training to become a pastor of a church plant in Santiago, but like many Latin American pastors, he's desperate for the theological education we take for granted. That's when an ABWE missionary met him and offered to pay for him to attend ABWE's seminary in Chile. Now he's only got two years left until he graduates and enters pastoral ministry. He doesn't talk about his testimony much. He only exudes kindness and warmth. ABWE is committed not just to reaching the least reached, but training national leaders. A gift to the Global Gospel Fund impacts the whole mission. Become a partner today at abwe.org globalgospelfund. You know, Another example of that would be the parable of the prodigal son. You know, you look at that and if you were to ask the average reader why the prodigal son ends up in such dire straits um, wanting to eat pig slop by the climax of the story, they would say, well, he was an idiot and he went out and spent all of his money. And that's actually true. But also when you look at the text, it specifically says that there was a famine in the land and no one, there was a famine and then he lost everything that he had too. Mm -hmm. And so someone coming from a different culture might pick up on that detail more readily and say, well, his community was responsible to come alongside of him and uh, and help him out. And so there was also a problem on that end, in addition to his own right. sinful choices. Well, or even the fact that we don't think about
0: the the utter degradation that pigs you know, signified in a Jewish context. So, sure, you know, or, sure. Or the fact that the father running, like in Middle East, fathers never run. Right. You know? So there's a lot of things culturally that are just in that text that we don't see.
1: Right. No, I, and I've, I think it's true. And I, I think... Good exegesis always addresses the, uh, the, the cultural context and the historic context. Um, you know, you, you learn that your first day in any Bible college program. I mean, that's uh, honestly. Um, but, but I think where we also need to go in our understanding is we, we need to be aware that there is a temptation, a really heavy temptation right now to over contextualize, to have a different gospel for this subgroup or that subgroup um, and, and so on, or to, to, you know, here's another example, you know, you look at the, uh, pastoral epistles and say like, well, you, you know, here, here are the qualifications of an elder and here are the qualifications of a deacon and, um, you know, elders, pastors, teachers are to be, you know, preaching the word of God and, and right, rightly handling the word of truth and these sorts of things. And, um, and yet there are voices in the realm of missions that would look at that and say, well, you know, Paul's really just operating off of a synagogue model there. He's assuming some things culturally. And really, as long as we are fulfilling the function of gathering regularly and doing something spiritual together as Christians, then that can take any old form. Doesn't have to be on Sunday. Doesn't have to revolve around somebody unpacking what the Bible says. Um, it can be on a different day of the week. It can be around, you know, and, and it, it can it can take any form. Um, And I think that's where we have to look at it and say, there are still things in scripture that um, are truths that come to us couched within a cultural context that, that have to be unpacked and applied to contextualize for us as the readers in order to read and obey. Okay. Here's a question. Um, But those truths transcend culture. It's not just relative.
0: Okay. Well, here's a question though, because you're making a very broad statement. Some truths transcend culture. Some are just uh, narrative information, right? So here's a question for you. How do you go about making that distinction. For instance, if you're reading the book of Acts, there's just no way that you or I or anyone reads the book of Acts and says, well, all of this is normative for today. We don't do all of those things. I don't know any Christians in North America that do all the things that are described in the book of Acts, nor do they have, you know, the same empowerment to do them. So how do you, how would you advise people to go, about reading scripture and saying, okay, this is normative for the church. These are the things that should be practiced all the time. And these are things that are just merely descriptive. This is what happened. And the author is just explaining what happened, but he was never intending for that particular example to be something that's always practiced or that is a command for the church. How would you go about answering that question?
1: Well, yeah, sure. I mean, that, that just goes back to understanding basic hermeneutics. You have to understand, uh, first of all, uh, the issue of genre, you know, what what type of literature are you looking at? Are you looking at just something that's descriptive or are you actually looking at something that's more didactic, that's giving specific instruction, that's prescriptive? Uh, that also goes to the, the principle of the analogy of faith, the, that understanding that all of scripture does comport with itself and uh, must be harmonized with itself um, and, and is easily able to be harmonized with itself with, with the right amount of study. Um, in in most cases, but understanding that that God does not speak uh, so as to contradict himself. Um, And also reading scripture, not just grammatically historically, um, but historic redemptively too. So we carry our um, understanding of the whole of Revelation into every text that we read. Um, If you were to preach through the uh, account of the Garden of Eden, um, you know, a good sermon on that, um is going to make reference to the fact that we know the serpent uh, to be a, a satanic figure. Um, now, we don't get that from Genesis. In fact, you know really, you don't you don't really get that for sure until you're in revelation. And if you were purely going to restrict yourself to the understanding of the original audience um, in Moses day, then you would actually be missing information. Um, we can't put on blinders as we come into the text. We have to allow all of what we see in Scripture to filter into what we interpret in each um, individual application of a text. So again, it's it's not denying at all that, that culture is a factor in the way that Scripture is presented to us. Um, it, we have to be good exegetes. It's just also recognizing that as we go out on mission and as we throw ourselves into cross-cultural settings, um, there's so much pressure from the world in general outside the church um, to be completely relativistic about culture. Uh, I heard a story recently of a missions agency that had to dismiss a missionary for converting to Islam. I mean, these are these are things that affect us if we're not rooted in the church, the truth, and we don't understand that um, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If we don't understand that the culturally embedded but understandable truths of scripture have to be unpacked and applied, but, but do apply to everyone, um, irrespective of their cultural background, um, you know that, that God's truth really does come to us objectively from the outside, and it's not purely a human thing. I think we have to start there um, in our knowledge, in our epistemology, and then work out from there on our missiology. Okay, so what role does culture play in our exegesis, in our contextualization, um, and and make those applications? But we have to start from a, a firm standpoint of confessing the uh, um, the inspiration of Scripture.
0: I, I think there's something else. Of, of course, I, I agree with you. The, p- part of the dilemma, though, is okay. So th- I think I think maybe we're responding to two, at least two. Questions, you know. One is, you have some who are probably more on the theological liberal end of things, um, who who kind of deny, probably deny deny the inspiration, and authority of Scripture. Anyway, okay, well, that's one category. Another, another category though is would be those who who don't see how their own culture could be influencing how they interpret Scripture. So they may have all the right hermeneutical principles and yet are still looking at it through their cultural lenses in such a way that it's just, the meaning is distorted. Um, but so I think there's one more help and this may be controversial. I don't know, but that is the fact that there is uh 2000 years of, of Christian tradition and history. So sometimes as Baptists, Mm -hmm. we tend to just chuck out
1: that controversial, but maybe somebody else listening does. Sure. (laughs) Sure. Yeah uh, historical you, theology is really just ch- what you're bringing in. Exactly. We,
0: we just chuck out tradition. Well, you know, the, I love, I love GK Chesterton's phrase and we've probably, I probably use it before cause it, it makes me sound smart. And I think it's so true. You know, he, he refers all <laughs> the time to the democracy of the dead. And that is the yeah. fact that, you know, we, we are part of the, the historic Christian church, which is not just, you know, me and, and my fellow elders here at Redeemer church or, or, you know our listeners in their you know own local church, but we're part of this larger body of historic movement of people who followed and lived and, and listened to Jesus and tried to obey his teachings and and read the scriptures um, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly, and that also causes us to pause, right? Because we realize hey, if I can read um, Calvin and Augustine and Luther and Zwingli, and I can read you know uh, Athanasius or, or Clement and and see how they they imported their culture into their, into their uh, exegesis. I should be careful that I know that I can do the same thing. Um, I'm not smarter than any of the guys I just mentioned. Um, So I need to be cautious with that. But what I'm trying to get to is saying, Hey, all of those guys can influence how I, when we have come to a position, is this a position that the, that the Christian Church has ever held before? You know, or am I out on a a limb here? So, you know, we're talking about, I would say, for instance, um, you know, like women in ministry, like there's, there's a whole new realm of people. And, and some guys I really actually am friends with and enjoy and, and love and appreciate so much of their ministry. They're like, well, Hey, we've been, we've been interpreting this all wrong. And if you just read this passage this way, and you read this, this way, and you just look at, you know, squid harder and look at this passage this way, like actually you <laughs> see that, that, you know, like the Bible does permit and encourages women to be pastors. Well, but the, Part of the problem with that beyond the exegesis and those kind of issues is the fact that like that just isn't the tradition of Christians in the church. I mean, there's 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 kind of outliers, of course, that isn't a consistent teaching of the Christian church at any point in Christian history. So you kind of have to allow that tradition of the apostles and and uh, the apostles teaching and how each generation of the church has interpreted God's word To also, I think, speak into that, not the same level, of course, because there's certainly areas we're going to disagree and we have to Mm -hmm. come to the clear teaching of God's word, but also allowing, I think, those those believers who have gone before us and also had the Holy Spirit within them and also were, you know, being illumined by his power to speak into the situation.
1: Well, yeah. And can I add something to that as we kind of come in for a landing, which is, you know, why does all of this matter? Um, And there's pendulum swings with everything. I I think you articulated one of those pendulum swings very well. Um, A fish doesn't know it's wet. And Mm -hmm. in the same sense, we don't know what our cultural blind spots are. Only our children and our grandchildren and future generations beyond that will, will know. Um, We can make guesses, um, but we don't know. And and it's easy to to, to look back, especially for you and I as Baptists on someone like Calvin and say like, hey, he's got some phenomenal stuff, brilliant, brilliant mind, so deeply benefited by him um you know but wrong on sacralism for instance um wrong on baptism wrong on uh, the nature of uh, the, the new covenant you know it, you know thing, things like that and mm-hmm. you can see how that was influenced by the political situation of his day we'll never have that degree of objectivity on ourselves that's just how the world works and you know so so as missionaries being really aware that uh, we can't just come in as um, you know, that, that word that we're afraid of, but we can't, we can't come in with an imperialistic or a colonialistic attitude and just sort of, uh, import all of our uh, opinions on others. Um, it, we can't impose our styles of music on the churches that we plant necessarily. Um, I I've heard of situations of, of, uh, you know, people coming in who are firmly convicted of that contemporary worship here in, in uh, North America, um, was you know really what we needed everywhere, and, and wanting to use drums and things like that in in a, an African church plant context, and just hearing actually from some of the African nationals sharing with him, well, listen, um, you know, for us this has connotations of tribal worship and and spiritism. And, you know, a doctrine of Christian liberty at that point is going to say, well, maybe at some point you need to teach them that, that you're not really going to summon demons with your drums, but you're also, you don't want to make them stumble, right? Right. You need to respect your brother's consciences. So we have to be very careful not to impose whatever our, our our cultural preferences are. Um, But at the same time, I go back to my friend, Matt, and being told not to go out on mission because you're, you're, yeah, Because you're inevitably going to fall into that ditch of colonialism. And I see so much danger there. And if we're talking about pendulum swings in the culture, I think that's probably for most people, you know, under age 50, thinking about missions, that's probably going to be the greater danger that I'm seeing among the current generation of evangelicals. We can't feel so guilty and we tend to be so guilt laden as American evangelicals in particular, but we can't be so guilt laden that we don't do anything that we say, well, because I'm a part of this cultural group or that one, or because I'm white or, or whatever, um, I should just avoid it. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be a missionary or I shouldn't go out because I'll probably get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just, uh, let me just reassure you, you will get it wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We all get it wrong. Thank God that he uses us in spite of the fact that we get it wrong, but we can't be so afraid of imposing something or another that we don't uh, not only go as missionaries, but stay long term and train leaders and build partnerships and plant churches over the long haul and embed ourselves within a culture and a society as missionaries. That what this does, this guilt, uh, you know, this, this fear of, of being too influential with our culture, what, what that does is it kills long term missions. It's great for short term missions. Hey, stop by, um, help a few guys and then leave and get out of there. Um, but, uh, it, it kills long-term missions that that's willing to go and stay long-term. And so, well, um, yeah. don't, don't fear. And I think ironically, the, uh, you know, there's more of a chance of colonialism
0: creeping up and there. I think that is a real concern. Yes. I mean, I, I do think you can look through that There is that is a real concern, but I think it's more of a, uh, problem when you have just short pop and stop missions, you know, because you, because you are you, you do, you're not taking the time to to know the people, to understand the language and culture, to go deep, and so you're way more likely to make assumptions quickly based on your, uh, you know your your status, your and and, and you're really is putting you in a position of of superiority. You know, you're the one coming in and helping, which I'm not against that that per, you know per se. I think there are good ways of doing short term missions, so I'm not totally against it. Um, however, I do think probably the best way to avoid colonialism is to come in with a learning posture like we do encourage come in, learn the languages, um, you know, the, the trade language, go deeper, learning the heart language of the people that you're trying to minister to, taking the time to really exegete their culture and to sit as a learner of learning their culture and then come in behind that you know, with, okay, well, now that I understand where you're coming from, let me share the word of God in a way that, that is, um, true, but also is speaking to your culture and not causing greater confusion. So, you know, ironically doing missions well, uh, does actually, uh, subvert
1: Colonialism, um, as opposed to promoting, it. yeah, it does. And you know, Robert Woodbury is a scholar that you should Google right now, and he's written and spoken on that. To where, when you survey um, the the nations of the world, and you see the ones that are most developed, those are the ones where there was the most um, historic presence of conversionary missionaries, the ones who are most often accused of coming in as colonialists, um, but in in reality, you also look and see that. The ones that were truly gospel-centered had a net positive effect on culture, in spite of any pitfalls or blind spots for themselves. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know, it, it, to bring it all together uh, as a missionary, but be encouraged by the doctrine of the perspicuity of Scripture. And it's a f- it's a funny doctrine. It's a, it, it, I, I find the name of the doctrine humorous, and the reason I find mm-hmm. it humorous is because people don't use the word, um, perspicuous. What does that mean? Well, the word ironically means clearness or clarity, right? (laughs) So so it's the most, um, easily uh, not understandable word that we could use that means understandable. So that irony aside, um, be encouraged by the perspicuity of scripture in that, yes, God has revealed his truth to us, um, in a format that is, um, got layers of culture in it, in the Bible that need to be unpacked and applied and, and applied to our situation today. And we're separated by time and language and all those sorts of things. Um, and yet, um, his truth is knowable. Uh, it's not unknowable. Mm-hmm. Don't throw up your hands in frustration. It's not all relative. Um, don't mm-hmm. be tempted to believe that because I, I would imagine a missionary going through culture shock would at some point be tempted in his faith to think maybe it is all relative. Maybe this is just an American thing. Maybe if I grew up in, in India, I would just believe Hinduism. And, and um, who's to say that that's not true, right? You might face that deep and dark a level of temptation at some point in your right. faith. And I'd say, just don't be discouraged. The fact that we have but, a Bible is, is proof that the gospel has gone to the nations. And we, yeah. we aren't the Jews. We're on the other side of the world because God's kingdom is spreading to all nations and bringing people in. And that's a byproduct of that fact but adding to that too part of
0: that frustration is is it a is a western phenomenon because we're trying to come to scripture alone as individuals and saying, like, why can't I personally Mm. understand this? Well, because you weren't intended to just be a guy in your room only with your Bible. Yes, you should. That should be part of your discipline. But you also need to be in a church, a community of faith with pastors that are gifted and trained uh, to help you understand those things. And and not just. Um, and not, and not, so, so moving from being alone in your room, reading the Bible to together with God's people, it use it, utilizing the mm-hmm. whole gifts of the church. And then beyond that, understanding that even your local church is a part or, part of a broader body of faith that has been interpreting and living out scripture for millennia. And so part mm-hmm. of the, it, part of the issue, I think with the American church is that Christians are divorced from the church unless they just come to a, the, the Sunday event Uh, the Sunday service uh, and uh, and then go home. And a lot of times they're not even being taught there and then trying to interpret the Bible individually. And I don't, I think that's all backwards. So as, as Christian people, we are part of the body of Christ, which is a local expression, which is part of a a universal expression, which is also part of historic profession. And all of those things um, help to uh, shape and cultivate and even uh, illuminate how we interpret the word of God, which was given to, to all of those people.
1: Amen. Well, we want to hear what you guys think. Write us. You can email Alex at com with any questions, comments, along with your ideas for future episodes. Don't forget to follow us on social media too. stay up to date that way and hear from us when there's uh, new episodes and content coming out. Thank you so much for listening loyally. And we look forward to joining you next week for another episode. If you want to get more great content on theology, missions, and practice, go to missionspodcast.com. And while you're there, subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite listening platform. And please give us an honest review and a five star rating. And don't forget to be sending your questions to alex at missionspodcast.com. And until next time, thank you for joining us.